Father, we do thank you for your greatness and your might and your majesty. We thank you for your loving kindness better than life. We thank you for your word that you have given to us, that you have preserved for us, that you have brought to us, that we may know you, know what you have revealed about yourself, that we may know truth, true truth, the eternal truth, the truth that you have written and recorded the truth of history, the truth of what righteousness is, the truth of your provision of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for your many kindnesses to us, and we, like the psalmist, pray that you will make your face to shine upon us, that you will indeed bless us, but you may do so in order that the nations may know and be glad. Father, you are a great God. We're grateful for what you are doing and what you're going to be doing through us in the days ahead as we walk in obedience to you. So speak to us now. In your name I pray. Amen. As we started this new year, we started in the book of Colossians with Paul's greeting to the church at Colossae. And the first sermon, the first focus was simply Paul's introduction of himself. Paul, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, by or according to the will of God. And we said, like Paul... We need to know that we're where God wants us to be, that we are doing what God would have us to do, that our lives are indeed on target. The difference is, from what the world would say you need to do, is we say, or what the Scripture says, is that we're no longer our own. We've been bought with a price. We need to allow God to set the target for our life. Now, when I was thinking of the title for this week's sermon, as we get a little bit further into Colossians chapter 1, we see Paul kind of expanding his view. Yes, he's writing to a local church, and he's writing to a group of Christians there in Colossae. But he talks about the gospel going throughout the world, being fruitful and increasing. And then he brings it back to the church at Colossae, and then he mentions a man by name. And so what we're talking about this morning is expanding our range. If our lives are on target... We want to look beyond whatever close target we have to a much further target. It was uh, some time ago uh, I took Danny, our youngest girl, to the shooting range up in Pickens County. And we carried a a small arsenal of firearms to go and shoot shoot and get accustomed to them and and practice them. And we started at a 10-yard target. You guys know how far away 10 yards is? I have to tell you, we were pretty good, but we didn't stay at a 10-yard target. We went back to 25, and then we changed to long guns, and we went way further back as far as the range and shoot. And I have to tell you that it's easier to see an up-close target. I wear glasses now, and what you can't see is that they're progressive lens. And so if I want to see up close, I have to look down, but if I want to see far, I have to look up. And in the middle, I can't see anything at all. And so it, it, gets, it gets kind of fuzzy and kind of confusing. In the same way, in our lives, we tend to get myopic. We tend to focus on the things that we immediately address. We, we get short-sighted, we want to, and we focus our attention on the things that are close to us. And what we want to do is to make sure that as we're allowing God to target our life, that we don't limit our range, but that we allow God to expand not only our awareness but our passion, our care, and our concern. And so I want us to begin this morning simply by reading the text. And we'll start in in verse 1 to give us the context that we've been through, and then we'll pick up in verse 3 and read through verse 8. 
And so the screen picks up at verse 3. But again, to reiterate, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, where we go, we don't go alone, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, we need to work in and through. God has intended us to work through a local church. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. We are to be channels of blessing. And now our text for the day. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Since we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. And one of the things that we said last week was every time that we get a command to love God, what's the next command? To love your neighbor. Every time we get an instruction on how to, how to love God, we get a, a call and a command to love one another. And they are modeling that. Your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints. Verse 5. Because of the hope. How can you do that? Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth. What's that? That's the gospel which has come to you. And indeed, here's a, a global look, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you. Here's the local church. Since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras. Now we're down to the individual our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. When we allow God to set the target of our life, when we allow God to direct every aspect of our life as his children, we need to make sure that we're not limiting the view that God would have us to have. And what we see in this passage, Paul also has a in his day, at that point in time, a global view, a global concern, and reflecting not only Paul's passion, but more importantly, Paul was reflecting God's passion, we need to, as children of God, open our minds and our awareness, open our hearts and our passion to more of a global concern. One of the first verses we ever learned in Scripture was John three sixteen: For God so loved the world. And when we think of world, we always say, God so loved me. God so loved my neighbor. God so loved my hometown. And yet we need to get this idea and understand God has a passion for the whole world. And some people will say, wait a minute, he chose a nation. He chose a nation, one nation to be his people. And then when Christ came, it opened up. No, God intended from the very beginning for Israel to be a blessing to the world. You remember when God called Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, Abram, at that point in time, a wealthy man married to Sarai. Uh, There he was, and God said, go to a place that I will show you. And when God is entering into a covenant with him in Genesis chapter 12, part of his promise is, I will bless those who bless you, I will curse those who curse you. And in you, through this lineage, through this calling, through your obedience in this nation that I am establishing, All the families of the earth will be blessed. All the tribes, all the people. Isaiah 42 tells us that Israel was designed to be a light to the nations. And God is passionate, not just for the people who live in Greenville. Now, the best people live in Greenville. I think. 
Uh, no, there are good, good. God wants us to get beyond our love for our locale. Now, I, I love my locale. I love Greenville. As a matter of fact, I met some people, uh, Suzanne and I met some people just uh, last Sunday who've just been in Greenville since May, and we welcomed them and told them, hey, Greenville is a great place to live, and there are a lot of people moving here, and I don't want us to misunderstand or miss the importance for us to focus on our neighborhood and our community. But when we do that to the exclusion of awareness and compassion and passion and genuine concern for people of other nations, other languages, people who look differently and live in different places, then we are missing the heart of God. In Second Peter, Peter is writing to the church and persecuted church and, and, and now he's warning them that the day of judgment is coming. He's motivating them, but he's also explaining that one time God destroyed the earth in, in, in water, in a flood. This time, the next time, God's going to come with fire and there will be a day of judgment, a day of accounting. And some of the people at that point in time, just like now, are saying, well, the Lord's going to come back. You've been saying that for a long time. When is he ever going to come? And Peter says, listen, you need to understand that, that God's promises are just like they are spoken today. A day is as a thousand years, a thousand years is as a day. God's promises, they don't wane, they don't weaken. He doesn't forget them. God's promises are true. And in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9, he says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient. Why? Because he's not wishing that any should perish, but that each should be repentance. And so we see the plan in Genesis when he spoke to Abraham. We see Peter telling them God has a plan to reach all peoples. He's, he's want to give time for, for people to be saved. And who are we talking about? When you get to Revelation, you've got John's vision of people from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 through 10 kind of sums this up. John there is having his vision, and he says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. Who are these people? Who's this multitude? They're from every nation. They're from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne of the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. And they are crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne. And two... The Lamb. Understand that God has a passion for the world. God has a passion for all nations. God has a passion for all people groups. And as we reflect the character of God, we care about the Western of Greenville. We care about the community that you live in. We care about this city and this county. We care about the upstate. And we spend our time here and we invest our resources here and our energy here. And we pray for, the, for our immediate mission field. But even when Jesus was preparing his disciples in Acts chapter 1, he said, I want you to be witnesses to me after the Holy Spirit's come upon you here in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Paul was aware of what was taking place through the gospel being proclaimed around the world. He had a global concern. As a matter of fact, you guys remember uh, when Paul was, was writing his letter to the church at Rome? He hadn't been there yet. He said, I'm coming. Uh, and uh, he, w- he was looking forward to going by and visiting. Why? Because he wanted to refresh them, be refreshed by them, and be equipped as he went further on. His passion, his prayer, was always to go to the next place. Not to build on somebody else's foundation, but to go to those places where the gospel had never been preached. Paul, as a traveler, 
Paul as a, a missionary. Paul is one who loved God, developed a heart for the nations. And sometimes that's just hard to do. How many of you have been out of this country? How many of you have been more, to three, more than three countries? Okay, good, good. We tend to be well-traveled more than probably at any time in human history because of advances in technology. We also tend to be more aware of what's going on in the world. We at least have the opportunity to be more aware of what's going on in the world. But sometimes we can be aware of what's going on from a news standpoint and not ever reflect upon it from a God-loves-the-world standpoint, from a God-created-them just like he created you, just like you were shaped in your mother's womb by Almighty God, so were they. And so one of the challenges that we have to developing a global concern is simply knowledge and awareness. And I began to reflect on how God worked in my life. And I took a lot of notes. I'm not going to share them all with you. But uh, I, I remember the first time I went to a place where they spoke another language. I went to Puerto Rico. It's a territory of the United States, and it's warm. <laughs> Why would you not want to go? The people are warm, beautiful beaches. And I went with a, a, a man who had invited me to go to, to work with deaf people and establishing deaf churches in some of the churches that had already been established. I'll tell you a little bit about what happened. I was alone on this first trip, and I flew into San Martin Airport there in uh, San Juan, Puerto Rico, and um, uh, the missionary on site was supposed to pick me up at the airport. And so I, I stood there and waited for him to come by and pick me up. I looked for him. I knew what he looked like. I knew he knew I was coming in. And it, time passed. And an hour passed. And then two hours passed. And then three hours passed. And then four hours passed. And then five hours passed. And I went back to the ticket desk to see about flights home. <laughs> to see if they were available. Because I didn't, I didn't know where to go. I had no contact information. He knew I was coming in. That was as far as we had gotten. I thought, I was praying. I was like, I don't know what to do. I'm not sure. I I just don't know what to do. So I'm just going to sit here and pray and say, all right, Lord, this is all in your hands. You know, if I need to spend the night in the airport, I'll spend the night in the airport. But uh, this is in your hands. And about eight hours after I was supposed to be picked up, he comes driving up in a van. Had the name of the ministry of one of his one of the churches that he helped to start on the side, and he was a great guy. I want you to understand, he got a passion for the mission that God had given to him. He loaded me up, told me that he had been coming to get me, but that he had a chance to stop and share the gospel with somebody. And so he spent the afternoon with a family who didn't know the Lord. He figured I wouldn't mind, and he put me in his van and he carried me. I thought, oh, Puerto Rico, man, Isla Verde, Green Isle. San Juan, the beaches, where are we going? And he took me back up in the mountains to a little place called Caguas. And we went up to a family's house and he knocked on the door. And he introduced, he's speaking Spanish. I took Spanish in high school. Okay? A little bit of Spanish. Took Spanish at college. But, you know, you don't learn to speak Spanish until you're in a place where people are speaking Spanish. I had a rudimentary knowledge. He knocks on the door. He knows this family because they have a deaf adult son who is living with them. And he says, this is Marty Price. He is our missionary for the week. Can he stay with you? And not only can he stay with you, but 
you have a concrete pad poured for a garage, he wants to teach Bible studies on that concrete pad. And not only that, but he's going to need to borrow a vehicle so he can go around with your son, meeting his friends and inviting them to come to this Bible study. And I'm standing there thinking, oh my word, what have I gotten into? Is, is, is this what life is like on the mission field? I have since learned that that's what his life is like on the mission field. It's not what everyone's life is like on the mission field. But I spent a week living with a Puerto Rican family who had a deaf son named Nelson, meeting his friends, going out, visiting families, conducting Bible studies. They do American Sign Language there and communication. God worked miraculously when it came to communication. And he began to give me a heart for people that are not in the upstate of South Carolina, people in other places. God has led our church, as you know, to connect with missionaries in the Philippines. Pastor Mello, God sent him to our church. It's a miracle the way that he ended up in the fellowship hall of Pendleton Street Baptist Church and shared his mission and his vision. And we've been partners now with their ministry for years. How many of you have been to the Philippines in in, in Many of us have made that trip. And we'll go again because now we know. We have faces, we have names, we have familiarity, we're not. And it's easy when you see people and you get to know them in the situation, it's easier to begin to have a passion that they experience the same grace that we experience. We need to very much connect with those who have gone and those who are there. As we develop a heart and a passion with a global concern. The second part of this, Paul tells them in Colossians, he says, which has come to you, the gospel has come to you, and indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned from Epaphras, and we, like him, we need to be engaged in this work, we need to be engaged in participate in increasing the spread of the gospel. And we need to do that here, yes, but we need to do it around the world. We need to make sure that we are a part of what God is doing in every place that God is working, that he calls us to be engaged and involved in. And sometimes that's the harder part. As a church, we need to be focused on the goodness of God and on the provision of God and on the mission of God and on His love for the world. Paul had never been to Colossae. We're reading this, right? Did you know Paul hadn't been there? He hadn't been there yet. He hadn't been to Laodicea yet. Chapter 2, verse 1. I can get the page turned here. I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all of those who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, knit together in love to reach all the riches and the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Paul had not yet been there, and yet he was participating in their work and in their spreading of the gospel. And we need to, as every local congregation needs to, participate in increasing the spread of the gospel where we are in our Jerusalem, but also in our Judea and our Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. Back in the mid-18th century, there was a young man named William Carey who God began to lay on his heart a passion for people of the world. 
particularly for people of India. He was bivocational. He was a cobbler. He made shoes, made and repaired shoes, and he was a minister. And they had a ministerial association there, and the story is told. It's somewhat anecdotal. I don't know how accurate it is, but it's certainly been recorded in his testimony, in the testimony of others, that when William Carey stood up at this association of ministers, he was seeking for people to go to India, but also seeking for financial support to pay transportation and on the field costs. And a pastor in that association said, Young man, sit down. When God pleases to convert the heathen, he will do it without your aid or mine. Without, with this exclamation, an older British Baptist pastor reportedly silenced William Carey's missions plea at a meeting. And this was later in the 18th century. He didn't let that stop him, though. In his workshop, he had a huge map of the world. And he wrote information on it about people who had not heard the gospel. And in 1792, Carey, William Carey and his friends gathered in Kettering, England and formed the Baptist Missionary Society. And the next year, William Carey and his family set sail for India. He served there for more than 40 years. It is credited as being the beginning of the modern missionary movement. Have you ever heard of Hudson Taylor? Missionary to China changed the way we view missions and changed China in that day for the gospel. An amazing missionary. You should read about C.T. Studd. He was in his day a world famous athlete in Britain. He felt God's call upon his life to be used to spread the gospel around the world and he gave up a very promising professional career as a professional cricketer to go and spread the gospel. The quote you've heard, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. That's his, in a poem that he wrote, explaining his involvement and how God was calling him. David Livingston, willing to go where no one had been proclaiming the gospel. Adoniram Judson, have you ever heard of Adoniram Judson? I want to tell you just a little bit about this man. Adoniram Judson was a young man. He had been involved in a secular lifestyle, nominally religious, but God got hold of his heart. And he gave him a passion for the people of the country that at that time was called Burma. He was not yet married. He wanted to be. He met a young woman named Anne Hasseltine. And he wanted her to marry him and to go with him to this foreign country to give his life for the spread of the gospel for people he didn't know, people he'd never met, people who looked different, spoke a different language. So he wrote a letter to Mr. Hasseltine asking for Anne's hand in marriage. And he pulled no punches. He didn't say, we're going to go, we'll see how it works out. Here's part of what he wrote. After he shared his testimony and his calling, he said, Mr. Hasseltine, I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring, possibly to see her no more in this world. Whether you can consent to her departure to a heathen land and her subjection to the hardships and suffering of a missionary life. 
Can you consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, to insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death? Can you consent to all of this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you, for the sake of perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God? Can you consent to all of this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with a crown of righteousness brightened by the acclamations of praise which shall resound to her Savior from heathen saved through her means from external woe and despair. Wow. Can you consent? When we see God's heart for the nations, and we see that the call to reach the world is our call, not somebody else's, it's our call. And then we see that there are those that God will call individually and say, I want you to go, like he directed Paul's life, like he directed Epaphras' life. I want you to go. We need to be engaged. How do we be engaged? We are engaged by going, whether it be short-term, long-term. We are engaged by giving. I don't know if you guys know this or how, to what extent. We've not spent a lot of time talking about this from the pulpit, to my shame. But we're part of the Southern Baptist Convention. And we send, in 2020, 400 new missionaries, international missionaries, traveling around the world, were appointed by the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention. It exists to take the good news of Jesus to the world. And it's unique in that... The vast majority of the missionaries that are sent out are fully funded and do not have to carry the burden or distraction of being on deputation or continually traveling back and forth to the U.S. to seek financial support. You and I, through our offerings that are giving to this congregation, a portion, a percentage of those offerings go directly to the International Mission Board to work. And then we give additional offerings. And you are aware of other opportunities that we have collected offerings for to fund missionaries on the field. Those who will, uh, in over 150 countries, evangelists, church planters, working in multiplication and getting language and culture and Bible and methodology training. There are 7,283 unreached people groups in the world. Four and a half billion unreached people. And so as a, as a denomination... 422 new missionaries in 2020. 247 new people groups and places were engaged. We celebrated 86,587 baptisms as a profession of faith in countries around the world through the work of the IMB missionaries that were reported in 2020. And 18,000 churches were planted. So when I talk about giving, I want you to give, and I want you to give generously, and I want you to give sacrificially, and there may be some that goes simply through the percentage giving through our budget and plan giving, but there's other times when we hear from missionaries who are working on the field who have specific needs. And so we need to give generously. We need to go sacrificially, and we need to partner. I mentioned Pastor Melo Lumibao in the Philippines 
who came and visited us and shared what God had called him to do in Massanlock and Zambales in the Philippines. And this was years ago, and he said, 15, 16 years ago, and he said that it was their goal, by God's will, that they plant five churches up and down their coast of, of the South China Sea, there on the island of Luzon in the Philippines. And this year, we have First Independent Baptist Church of Massanlock. We have uh, Tapwak with Daniel Dio. We have Candelaria with Pastor Bilbo. We have um, uh, San Lorenzo with Mac, John Mark, Pastor John Mark. And we have um, Ulangapo with, with Pastor Gideon, five congregations. And his son Kyle is here studying to go back and start another church when they get back. Praise the Lord that we get to be involved in this work and get to be involved in this ministry. And we do this through partnering. And I want to I want to come back and talk about that partnering for just a minute. When we talk about the world, we don't look past where we are to go there. We look through where we are to go there. Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the other most parts of the world. Does that, does that make sense? The light that shines the farthest shines the brightest close to home. The light that shines the farthest shines the brightest close to home. This is not something that's just a pie in the sky or something that other people do. Each of us need to ask God to create in us awareness and a concern, a spiritual, a gospel concern for people around the world who look different than us, who speak different than us, who act differently than us, who live differently than us, and then say, God, how can we be involved? What would you have me do? These are your resources. I will give them. This is your time. I belong to you. You want me to go? I will go short term. Maybe you're calling me to go like you did Epaphras to start at the church Colossae, and I will go full time, and I will equip people here so that we understand the need and the calling on this. But let me just talk about partnerships for a moment. Praise the Lord for the place that he has given to us over there and provided for us over there over there on the West End. I'm excited about it. You'll hear more about that next week. It's just a building. But it's not just a building. It is a tool to be used for the glory of God to reach that community with the gospel. Amen? Are you with me here? Have I put you to sleep already? I'll wake you up. Okay. This is exciting news. But we aren't the first church there. Tuesday night, GPS is going to be meeting at the Ray Street campus of Reconcile Community Church. Will Broadus is the pastor. Will and Becca, they got three lovely kids. God called and put Will in the welcome community to spread the gospel. God provided that facility, and now he's provided another campus for them, another facility. And we are partnering with them in multiple ways and want to see more how we can come alongside of what God's doing through them and how they can come alongside of what God's doing through us. You understand what I'm saying, right? We're not giving up our call to do ministry. Partnership is where you serve together, work together, and pray together. But even before Will got there, Dunneen's there. Dunneen Mill Hill Church, Dunneen Baptist Church, has been there for years. Their pastor, Calvin Holland, just retired on the very 1st of January. And Stephen Leopard and his wife, Kaylin, who just had a baby, are now the pastor at Dunneen Baptist Church. And they are refocused on re- being revitalized and reaching the Dunning community and the Mills Mill community with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is exciting news. And we get to be another congregation with the same mission and the same passion, partnering with this congregation in God's work. They're not the only ones. Open Heart Baptist Church is right 
down the road. Open Heart has been there for a long time, and they are another gospel-focused, centered church. Long Branch Baptist Church is a tremendous church that's making a great impact on a much broader community in that area. We have been to Origins. It has been meeting at the Old Cigar Warehouse, but now they're, at least I think today they're at Zen, but they, they have to find a place downtown. But Matthew Elrod, and, and uh, we, we need to, we are, again, a sister church in that community. And you may say, well, one's enough. One is never enough. The population, the needs that exist is, is, is multiplying when individual churches pursuing God's will with their personality and their gifts and their abilities work together to, to proclaim the gospel, to make Christ known, and to grow believers. As a matter of fact, here's the goal. When Paul prays for the church at Corinth, he says, I pray that you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. That's what we are doing. That's what they are doing. That's what we can do in multiple ways together. We partner here. We partner around the world. I've already mentioned Pastor Mello and Daniel and Mac and Gideon and Kyle. And Jay and Che, by the way, are in uh, um, Thailand. Uh, and doing a great work there. He was here, preached in here last September, if you remember when they came. But we have IMB missionaries that we partner with and pray, and I we broadcast this, so I'm not going to give you their names. But in our home group, we have a couple that are in Turkey that we keep up with and that we pray. We pray for them, and we pray for their work, and we pray for their ministry. Last September, again, we had a, a couple from Madagascar who were called by God, placed, and sent by the mission sending agency to go to serve the Lord there. So here's my question. Well, the first thing is we need to pray. The third, the third point is we need to pray for laborers in the field. We need to pray for laborers like Epaphras who went to Colossae and preached the gospel and started this church. So here's, here's my question. Do we have a global concern? Do we care for those with a gospel care and a gospel concern that are just beyond, that, that are just in our sphere of influence? Or can we expand our target? Can we expand our fear, sphere of influence through the power of God who works in us and works through us to be channels of grace and peace? We do participate in the increasing spread of the gospel as a cooperating Southern Baptist Church. But here's my question. Beyond this being some sort of institutional goal, what about us as a people? How are we, how can we increasingly participate in the global spread of the gospel? By going, by giving, by sending. When... uh, when I was 15 years old, I went to a student conference in Hammond, Indiana. And while I was there, the Lord started dealing with me. I'd been a believer for some time. While I was there, the Lord started dealing with me and said, I want your life. And buddy, I don't know if you've ever had God just really grab a hold of you, but he just, I knew beyond any shadow of a doubt that God spoke to me. And somebody asked, did he speak audibly? I, no, it was way louder than that. That he was calling me to be his, to be a preacher. 
to be one who vocationally invested my life in proclaiming the gospel. And I came home and I told my dad, and my dad said, you have to tell the church. (laughs) 15-year-old kid, he made me stand up behind the pulpit and give my testimony. Not only how I got saved, but what God was calling me to do. And then there in front of God in the congregation, he says, now here's what that means for you, boy. It means that you may go anywhere, anytime, to tell anyone the gospel of Christ. One of the things that really kind of surprised me when I was in seminary in New Orleans, when I went to the placement office where they were helping ministers find places to serve, the guy said, where are you willing to go? And I said, anywhere. That's what my dad told me when I was 15 years old. I had to be willing to go anywhere. I would prefer where the temperature is 80 or above. But I'll, I'll go I'll go anywhere that you would have me go. He said, you have no idea. This guy said, you have no idea how refreshing that is to hear. He said, fully 80% of the people that come here looking for their next step want to stay in the South. They want to be in Louisiana or they want to be in Mississippi or they want to be in Alabama. And those who are willing to go a long way are willing to go to Georgia or South Carolina. But nobody wants to go to New England. Nobody wants to go out west. We can't hardly get people to go to Texas and other places that need the gospel, much less those around the world. Here's my concern with these temporal lives that we live. We get comfortable. And we we get cluttered. And we get weighed down. And we get unwilling. Because it's inconvenient, because it costs too much, because there's a need here and we can rationalize that. And I want to remind you and to be reminded myself by God's word this morning that when we came to Christ, we said, you can have all of me. You can have my future, you can have my plans, you can have my house, you can have my car, you can have my kids, you can have my grandkids. You can have all of me. And we need to be willing to say, God, I will go any place. God, I will go at any time and for however long. And God, I will share the message of the gospel to anyone. And God, I will not withhold anything. No sacrifice is too great. And it may be you that God sends. It may be your kids that God sends. It may be your grandkids that God sends. And what do they do when they get there? They do the same thing that you do here. We are channels of grace and peace to people who need the Lord. Willing to go. Willing to have a concern for the world that Jesus Christ died for. Amen? Are you willing? Are you willing? Father, I pray that you will do a work in our hearts that says, yeah, we're willing to go. We're willing to give. We're willing to pray. We're willing to partner. We're willing to participate. 
creating us a concern for the people of the world. Not just the people we're comfortable with, the people we know, but the people of the world. I pray, Father, you will ignite in us in a passion for you and your glory, that you will bless us and cause your face to shine upon us in order that the nations may know that all peoples will proclaim your name. Father, I know you're coming back. But until you come back, I know you're not wanting anyone to perish. That you're wanting everyone to have the opportunity to hear the gospel. That you are calling people to yourself. That you are saving people. And we want to be a part of the culmination of your work. Father, I pray that we will not hold anything back. That we will be sacrificial. That we'll be willing to move. That we'll be willing to travel. That we'll be willing to do without the things that have made us comfortable, those things that have bound us and those things that have weighed us aside, that we may lay those aside joyfully for the glory of your name and for the sake of those who desperately need your word and need churches. They need to be taught and they need to be fed and they need to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, Father, you be glorified in us. You be glorified in us. In your name I pray. Amen.